So I want to show you just a couple of masterpieces of God. They'll be on the screens to my left and right. Have you seen scenes similar to these? These are the handiwork of God. And He has made so many displays of His powerful, creative, beautiful way. And yet, His most important masterpiece is man. You could say that man is the crown jewel of God's creative work. Now, we're not talking about chiseled abs or a perfect hairline. We're talking about the fact that God made man in His own image. That God made man to bear His image. And how God, in accordance with His own plan, His own purpose, His own power, is making His children, that's those who have trusted Jesus Christ for their only means of eternal salvation. God is making His children into the likeness of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect reflection of the image of God. The the Scriptures tell us that, and we will see that this morning. Jesus Christ is the perfect reflection of the image of God, and God is fashioning us into the likeness of His Son. This is the work of God. He's doing this. It will come to pass. As we think about this as a handiwork, a masterpiece of God, we have to answer this question. Does God ever leave one of His projects unfinished? Now the question is not whether I leave a project unfinished, because that would have a different answer. There are projects that sometimes we start and time goes on and they're not finished. But when God starts a project, He always brings it to completion. That's who He is. We want to look at our text for this morning. It's in Romans chapter 8. It was read already, but I want to read it again. It's good for us to have God's Word washing over us. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. I want to both challenge you this morning, and I want to encourage you both. Encourage and challenge. And I want to remind you from our takeaways of the last time we were in Romans chapter 8. This is our third go at our look at these short verses. The last time we had these four takeaways from our study. First of all, God accomplishes all that He promises. Secondly, faith in Jesus Christ for our eternal redemption indicates that we are God's children, that He has known, that He has marked, that He has called, and that He has justified our glorification, brothers and sisters in Christ, our glorification is certain. It is not left to possibilities. It is an absolute concrete reality. We will be glorified God speaks of it as if we have been glorified because His work is so certain. As God's special people, we are in the process of growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That will be our discussion this morning. And the other portion that I tried to encourage you with then and now, do not grow weary of this process. For God will accomplish it fully at the end. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart, if you do not give up, if you do not grow faint. Our focus this morning will be on the second half of verse 29. God has set off by boundaries 
Remember, that was the concept of predestined. To beforehand set off by boundaries those who are His. And to set us off to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? So that we would be following the firstborn. He would be the firstborn of many brethren. We are those brethren. Those that have trusted Christ as their Savior are the brethren. He's the firstborn. We're the many brethren. He's the firstfruits. As He was raised, we will also be raised. We have to answer a couple of questions I think that will be helpful to our understanding of the passage. What is the ultimate concept that this verse, verse 29, what is God ultimately trying to teach us? Is He talking about sanctification or is He talking about glorification? Let me follow that up with a question. What is the difference between sanctification and glorification? What is the difference? Pause. We'll call this the sila. Pause and ponder. Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give what? Life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So he's talking about this resurrection that is to come. That's future. Verse 17. Verse 17. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with Him. He's talking about something in the future. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us or in us. And so we have this future. Verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are groaning inwardly as we what? Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, which is the redemption of the body. So we have this concept. It's, he's laying it out, and glorification is in sight. In this line of thinking, if, if glorification is the concept that's being discussed in verse 29, where he says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. If glorification is in sight, Paul is assuring us that while in this life we might suffer, verses 17 and 18, we might feel bound, verse 21, we might groan, in verse 23, and we might deal with weakness, in verse 26, we can know that God's eternal purpose of making us like His Son will come to pass. I know that I just used a whole lot of words. But I hope, because I know in, in me what I just felt, I felt a great sigh of relief. Because every day we go about what people can refer to as the daily grind. And we kind of get a little worn down by the daily grind, which is why God constantly encourages us to press on. And you fight. What are you fighting for? To love God the way I ought to? To love Him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? To love my neighbor as myself? To worship God fully? To surrender to God fully? To reflect Christ fully? We labor to this because we love our God. We want to honor Him. We want to reflect Him. But if you're honest, you know that every day there are contrary forces going on inside of you. And there are contrary, not only thoughts, but actions that come out of you. And that can get to be quite, quite a bit of a discouragement when I want to love God, but I love me. When I want to serve God, but I serve me. It's very discouraging. While in this life we might groan, 
and feel down. You might feel uh, uh, sufferings and difficulties. While in this life I'm filled with weakness, I know. I know that God will accomplish his purpose. It's based on him. It's based on him. It's certain this will happen. We might feel like things are out of control, but our sovereign Heavenly Father has it all under control. The immediate context, I'd say, points us mostly toward glorification as the ultimate uh, plan in this passage. The ultimate time frame for our conformity to Christ, this thing that will take place in the future. There are plenty of implications throughout this passage that talk about the process that we are undergoing right now of sanctification. There's plenty in this text to tell me to think that there's at least an implication that in this life, right now, God is using everything I experience, good, bad, and, and, and great, good, bad, and ugly, good, bad, and in between. He's using all of this to make me like His Son. He's conforming me. He's transforming me every single day to be like His Son. This is what He's doing. And so let's take a look through the passage with that in mind. Look at verse 4. It says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled where? In us. How is that going to take place? When we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at chapter uh, 8, verse 5. The second half of the passage those who live according to the flesh set their minds excuse me messed that up those that live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit look at the end of verse 6 to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace look at verse 9 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit you're in the spirit look at verse 13 for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And so we have this present tense concept that is coming up, speaking about God fulfilling His purposes in us, setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, to to be mindful of the Spirit, to live in accordance with the Spirit, to submit ourselves to the Spirit in such a way that He's putting to death my fleshly passions and, and leading me along. This is present tense. And so we see the, the wisdom in looking at this text. Well, I think glorification is mostly the idea. I think it behooves us, it benefits us to look at both glorification and sanctification in it and, and be benefited. So as we look at the second half of verse 29 this morning, we want to look at two concepts. The first heading is this. God intends to make us like His Son. And second, God ensures our eternal life in heaven through the work of His Son. So first, God intends to make us like His Son. Verse 29 again, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The conformity to Jesus Christ will happen For how many believers? How many? Every believer. Let's take a look at a couple of passages. These are familiar. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. So we're starting with a familiar, and then we want to see the implication of the familiar. The familiar concept is, yes, God will get this done, His character is on the line. His power is on the line. His purpose from before the foundation of the earth is on the line. Every believer will be conformed to the image of Christ because it's God's plan and purpose. And no one and nothing thwarts that plan. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will you read it with me? will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 3 now in verse 21. Chapter 3 and verse 21. Verse 20 talks about our citizenship and our Savior. We're waiting for our Savior. Verse 21, our Savior will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. That's glorification. How? 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is certain, right? Verse 6 of chapter 1, verse 3 of chapter 21, there's no doubt that every believer in Jesus Christ will be completely sanctified and glorified. Correct? Yes. This certainty encourages us when we are struggling with our fleshly nature. This certainty encourages us when we are struggling with our fleshly nature. Take a look at Romans chapter 7. If you're like me, and I I guess in some ways I hope you're not, um, when you uh, sin and you don't submit to the Lord, uh, you're frustrated and you can be discouraged with that until you recognize your sin, until you recognize your weakness and your frailty, and you come to repentance clearly and confess your sin to God and receive from Him both forgiveness and restoration and joy and peace. So I I think that we, as believers, go through this. You're not alone. The Apostle Paul faced the same thing. We've already covered this text in uh, months previous. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I, I don't have the ability to carry it out. He does. I don't. Paul bears witness to the struggle. The fact that God guarantees our ultimate glorification when we're in the midst of that struggle, we can be encouraged not to grow weary. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that there's no temptation that has overtaken us that is not common to man, but that God is faithful and He will not let you, to be, uh, let you be tempted beyond your ability with Him. But with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I prefer to change the wording of that just a little bit to reflect the actual Greek. To bear up under it. The, the concept, he gives us a word picture in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that there's this temptation bearing down on you, bearing down on me. It's common to man. You face it. I face it. Everyone faces it. Particularly believers are facing this temptation. It's pushing down. God's faithful. He'll make a way for, for us to escape because of His power. But while it's pressing down, He gives us what we need to bear up under it. I don't know if you're one of those weightlifter peoples. I don't know if it's even smart to do this, but I remember having the, the bar on my neck. You had the little cushion thing on there, bar on my neck, and you got the, the weights on the side, and, and, and you go down and you do this squat. Ooh, yeah, love this. Bearing up. There's a pressure pushing down, but your legs are pushing up. God gives you and He gives me the ability not to have that squat and that machine overtake us so we go to the ground, but instead come back up. That's what He does. Guess what? The weight's still there, even when you're at the top. Right? Still there. The reality that we know we will be glorified helps us. We're in the midst. We're in the midst of that pressure coming down. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.16, oh, this is so encouraging, verse 16, but this I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is that that like a breath of fresh air to you? Yes. Yes. I love it. Okay. I deal with the, the desires to gratify my flesh every single day. So do you. God says, if you walk by my Spirit, you won't gratify those. Good news. Verse 17 is both good and bad news. Good news because now you have an understanding of what you're going through. Bad news, you're going through it. Verse 17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There's a battle. 
And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This struggle with our flesh is the normal experience for the believer. I would go so far as to say, and it would be in all capital, capital letters, I'm yelling at you right now on the screens. Ready? No struggle, no work of the Spirit. If you don't feel that fight within you, it's not because you're super holy. It's because you're super not. The only time you feel the current of the river really is when you turn around and try to head upstream. Otherwise, you're just kind of like coasting along. This is easy. This is easy. When you're on the raft and, and the, the, the current's got you, this is easy. Yeah, you want to find out how easy it is? Go on the other direction. Well, that's what it is in the Christian life. We're going the other direction against ourselves. Oh, I'm going to go live in a monastery. Guess where the fight's going to be? Yourself. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to church every single day. I'm going to pray every single day. I'm going to be in the church. Guess, guess who's going to be there with you? You. I'm going to go out on a mountain and I'm going to meditate upon my navel at the top of a mountain. Guess who's going to be there? You. You're not going to get rid of that. Not in this life. But God told you it would be like this. If he didn't tell us, man, would that struggle be very, even more discouraging. Because then I'd be like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Well, there's plenty wrong with me. But that is a normal Christian experience that your flesh wants to do B while God wants you to do A. And the only way you get to A is when you say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I need you to do in me what you ask me to do. That's called grace. And his supply of grace, God's supply of grace, is abundant. Endless. Alright, so that's one side of the spectrum. The certainty of our conformity to Christ encourages us when we are struggling with our fleshly desires. But this certainty of our conformity to Jesus Christ also rebukes us when we cater to our fleshly nature. This is the other side of the coin. We look at the, the guarantee. Oh, God is going to make me fully like His Son. And then we say, yeah, but what about now? Take a look, please, with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. God reminds us in various ways, most particularly through Scripture. Secondly, also through His Spirit. And also through His people. God reminds us that our fleshly passions are not what we were made for. We were not made to indulge ourselves. We were made to serve the Lord, not ourselves. In 1 Peter chapter 4, let's take a look please, beginning at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so also to live for the excuse me so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of god for the time that is past suffices it's enough for doing the will of the gentiles or doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead 
that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. What, what's the big, big idea? We're not, we're not expositing 1 Peter chapter 4. What's the big idea? God wants us to live in accordance with the way the Lord Jesus did. Arm ourselves with the same mind, way of thinking. Why? Because we're not, we're not here to indulge our own flesh. We're here to do the will of God. We've spent enough of our time Enough of our time doing the lusts of the Gentiles. The lusts of our flesh. We've done enough of that time. Verse 3. He's clearly telling us this, right? So the reality that one day we will be glorified also rebukes us when we live comfortably after our own devices. When When we think it's a comfortable place to do what we want rather than what God has called us to do. It's a rebuke to us when we feel comfortable that way. To really understand God's goal for us, we need to see His design. And so we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. Follow me back to Genesis chapter 1 just for a moment. We're we're considering back in Romans chapter 8 the fact that before time began, God foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified us so that we would be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, His Son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We want to look like Christ. We're supposed to look like Christ. This is God's design from before the foundation of the earth. God planned this, purposed this, and will accomplish this. This is a reality. God's design is that we would depict His Son, glorify His Son, reflect His Son. We're in Genesis chapter 1. Take a look beginning in verses 24 and 25. We see the sixth day of creation when God creates the animals it says in verse 24 and God said let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind will you say this with me please and God saw that it was it's good God does part of his day's work because there's more to come on day six god does part of his day's work and he sits back he says i like what i did it's good these are good what i've done what i've made this is good but he wasn't done verses 26 through 28 god has a plan and the plan that's left to be fulfilled on day six is the crown jewel of his creative purposes look at verse 26 then god said let us what do you mean us we the godhead (laughs) let us make man that singular in our image after our likeness and let them is that singular or plural there's plural. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that's singular, in His own image. And in the image of God, He created him, that's singular, male, that's singular, and what's the next word? Female, that's singular. He created them. Who did God create in His own image? Adam and Eve and everyone that comes from them. God created mankind in His own image. Verse 28, And the Lord and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God designed from the very beginning to make man in his image, and that man was to exercise God's dominion. Man was to be a declaration, a reflection, an administration of God's kingdom on the earth. This is why God made us, to administrate his kingdom, that we would be reflections and workers in his kingdom. All right, we see that. That's good. We know what happened, though. Adam and Eve failed they sinned. And yet, even after the creation, God still speaks of man being made in His image. Look at chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. 
you'll have to give me some permission here to spend a moment on verse 6 of Genesis chapter 9. There's a worthwhile moment for us to take a small, short rabbit trail. We're in verse 6 of Genesis 9. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Does Genesis chapter 9 take place before or after the fall? After the fall. Man has already sinned, and God is still referring to man actively as made in his own image. Well, there's a lot to be said from verse 6. I'm just going to take a moment. This verse speaks about the dignity of every human life. Male and female, black, white, Asian, man's life is sacred. And we need to be concerned, my brothers and sisters, we need to be concerned about life from conception to death. From conception to death. This covers abortion and euthanasia. We care about God's imprint on man. Each person from the embryonic stage until they breathe their last breath is in this sacred thing that God has entrusted and we need to cherish it. And we need to cherish each other. We need to cherish our neighbor, even if they're foul. We need to cherish our coworker, even if they're raunchy. We need to cherish people that have different political views, different sociological views, different cultural backgrounds, different scientific and medical thoughts. This is why, regardless of whether we think we should put a mask on or don't think we should put a mask on, we, we respect someone else because someone else might care, right? I've been fully vaccinated. I did that because the military wanted me to, so I just did it. You can agree with that, you can disagree with that. I don't give an account to you about whether I'm vaccinated or not, but I, for other, the sake of other people, I'm willing to do what I need to do. I, I don't need to put a mask on. I've been fully vaccinated. I put it on anyway if I'm going to go somewhere where someone wants a mask on. For you, why? Because you matter. Shouldn't, shouldn't we value one another? Why? Because God made you in His image. God made me in His image. People that are different than me theologically, politically, sociologically, economically. What difference do any of those things make in the light of eternity? They matter now, right? Because if you don't have any money, it matters, right? You don't have any money, you don't, can't buy something. I'm not saying that none of those things make any difference. I'm just, what I'm saying is they don't matter in the light of eternity. A man's soul lasts forever. And God made man, all of them, and women, all of them, in his image. James, in James chapter 3, if you'll take, follow me there, James chapter 3, James uses the fact of man being created in the image of God to condemn slander and flippancy with our tongues. James chapter 3, look at verses 7 and following. For every kind of beast and of bird and of reptile and of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. Will you read with me? You might have a different version than I do. It's all right. Ready? And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What is he using as the, the basis of not cursing my brother, my, my neighbor, my coworker? They've been made in the likeness of God, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. This is how God has made us. God made man in his own image. And you know, we do know this sin distorts man's reflection of God. 
Sin distorts man's reflection of God. That's, that's a, a clear reality. Where Adam and Eve and the rest of mankind have failed to properly reflect the glory of God, Jesus Christ has victoriously and continuously displayed God's image. I want you to look, please, with me at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So, an incredible section of Scripture. In verses 9 through 14, Paul is articulating a prayer for the church of Colossae that they would be controlled by a knowledge of God's will. So they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He talks about that God's strength is really what brings this about. That God's strength produces joy and patience and and peace. That that God has taken a people who were in darkness and has translated them into the kingdom of the the Son of His love, his, His kingdom of light. And that we have that redemption through His Son, the forgiveness of our sins come through Christ. And then he continues to talk about Jesus Christ in verses 15 and following. And listen to the words of verse 15. He, speaking about Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He, Jesus, is the image, icon. Icon has the idea of something that that is a representative. You see, I want to see God. I want to see God. Show us the Father and it will suffice us. Remember what Jesus said? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father in other places. I and the Father are one. We know this. Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect reflection, the perfect manifestation of God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, just the first part of verse 3, it says this, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You want to see God look to Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 18, we love these words, no one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's right hand. He has made Him known. The word made Him known is the word exegeomai. It's to draw it out. You want to see God? You'll see it in the person of Christ. He draws out, leads us to understand who God is. That's the concept. You want to see God? You'll find Him in Christ because Jesus is the God-man. He's the Word made flesh. And He has demonstrated the image of God perfectly. And where Jesus perfectly demonstrated the image of God, we, as God's new creation, have both the privilege and the responsibility to demonstrate that same image when. When are we called, when are we privileged to bear that same image right now? Has God called you? Has God opened your eyes? Taken the blindness away? Has God taken you from death? We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And given you life? Has He placed His Spirit within you? The time for you and the time for me to reflect the image of Jesus Christ is now. It will happen at the end. Glory be to God. I have great confidence. I have utter confidence that I will reflect Jesus Christ fully throughout all of eternity. I want to reflect Him now. Don't you? That's your job. That's my job. We are administrators of the Kingdom of God. He's, his kingdom is, is overall. It's from everlasting to everlasting. There's a day coming when He will visibly, gloriously, perfectly rule and reign from a physical location and it'll be glorious. It'll reach the ends of the earth. I look forward to that day. Here and now, God uses His people, the church, to be displays of that kingdom. 
And I want to do that. I want to do it well. Take a look with me at a couple of verses of Scripture. Ephesians 4, to start with. My time is getting lower and lower by the moment. And it's getting warmer and warmer in here by the second. I don't know if you're noticing that. I'm cooking. Whew. Can someone open some doors or something? Anyway, Ephesians 4, look at verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your, what does it say? Former manner of life, and is corrupt, or is being made corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on, what does that next word say? The new self. Put on, this is a command, Put on the new self which was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God not only calls you and calls me to bear the image of Jesus Christ, He actually provides it. He provides us with that image. Put off the old man, that's who I am. Put off my old way, put off my desires, my inclinations, my lustfulness, put it off and put on Christ. He, this new man, verse 24, is, has already been created. It's not like something that's mystically happening. It's already done. So when we put on the new man, we're putting on Christ who was created in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, when I put on Christ, righteousness and holiness come out in my life. When? In the kingdom? In, like in the coming day? Well, yes, that'll happen then too. But he's talking about doing it now. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 10. Similar concept, he says in verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in what? Knowledge after the image of its Creator. So we have true righteousness and holiness that are part of this. This knowledge that is part of this. And you know, as you look through the Scriptures, we see calls for you and for me to put on the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right? In Philippians chapter 2, we're told to, to have the humble mindset of Christ. This is a display of God's nature. It's a display of God's person. But how does this take place? You know, being called to do this is one thing, but knowing how to do it is an entirely different thing. We're just going to take just a moment and we're going to conclude after a few verses of Scripture. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This passage is all about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant that was glorious, that um, when, when Moses beheld the glory of the Lord, he had to cover his face because it was so glorious, but that, that glory went away. That, and, he, and so he put a veil over his face so that no one knew that the glory would go away. But he talks about a new covenant that was coming that would exceedingly surpass that glory of the former covenant. The New Covenant. I think we can see it in the, the writing of the Word. As he comes to the end of that discussion, he talks about how this, this new covenant transforms us. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Well, there's a couple of concepts that we see in this text that help us to understand how, how is it that we put on the new man? How is it that we become in this life more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? We are beholding the glory of the Lord in the Word of God, surrendered to the Spirit. The Spirit produces the transformation as we're beholding the glory of the Lord in the things He has recorded for us. How am I going to find the glory of the Lord? Well, I'm going to look at the stars. That's great. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows 
His handiwork. That's good. I want to see the glorious power of God in the things that He's made. But if I really want to understand it carefully and clearly, I'm going to find it where God has revealed His mind to me in the Word of Truth that is the Scriptures. And as I behold, continue to behold, day in and day out, year in and year out, God is doing something and His Spirit is changing us from one degree of glory to another. My glory? Not on your life. I get no glory here. My body is winding down and my flesh is getting worse. His glory. So what does that mean? More time in the Word and more time where the Spirit is ruling me and not me ruling me. That's where the transformation takes place. Just briefly, a few passages we'll make reference to and then we're going to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now I want you to read it and I want you to who's doing the sanctifying here? Who's making us holy? Who is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ in this passage? 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Who's doing the sanctifying? Who's doing the sanctifying? God is. God Himself. He's faithful. He will do it. This is what happens. He's responsible to sanctify me. So we've got the Word and the Spirit and God Himself, God the Father, dealing with me this way. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, it emphasizes the Spirit. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit is doing this. Oh, well, what, where am I in this mix? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 gives us some insight there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Some of you still have the King James memorized like I do which is your reasonable service. It's your right service to present your body to God as a living sacrifice. How often does this take place? If you really want to be conformed to the image of Christ, if you really want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, every second, oh, I die daily. Well, good for you. You die daily and then you go right to your flesh. Guess what? Back to your flesh. Who's on display then? You. How cool are you? Not very. Not spiritually. Might be cool to someone else, but spiritually, you've got nothing to offer unless you're surrendered. Present your body now. In five minutes from now. In five minutes from now. And you know what will happen? God's Spirit will rule you instead of you ruling you. God's Word will resonate within you and come out through you instead of you coming out through you and in you. So we must submit to God. We must submit to His Word. We must submit to His Spirit. And the results are holy thinking and holy actions. The fruit of the Spirit is. And this is another where I cannot get the King James out of my head. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I have tried to memorize it in the New King James. I have tried to memorize it in the ESV. I have tried to memorize it in the New American Standard. And I can't. So every time I say it, I'm going to say it in the King James unless I'm actually reading it. And you see some different words on the screen than, quite, you know, than, than what I'm saying? The reality is, listen. When the Spirit is in control, what's happening? Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. 
and temperance. Against such there is no law. Why? Why do I not need a law? Because the law is bad? No, the law is good if it's used spiritually. But that's not the point. When the Spirit rules me, I don't need a law because He's going to enable me to do plan A. God's will. Not plan B. Mine. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ right now. Not next week. Not next month. This second. How about you? Are you motivated? Hey, you know what will motivate you the most? To know this. You will be glorified because God purposed and planned to do it and He has the power to bring it to pass. It will happen. So you may find yourself weary in the midst of the journey. Don't quit. It's going to happen fully at the end. But here and now, right now, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to His Word. Submit yourself to His Spirit. And that glorious kingdom of God that we were designed to display will be on display in us right then and right there for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, we need You. We need You to do this work. And we even need Your help to make us fully surrendered. For we struggle. Father, I pray for anyone struggling in the midst of this, that Your Spirit would encourage us to follow hard after you and to submit our passions to you, that your passions would replace ours. And Father, I pray, we pray for anyone among us that doesn't know Jesus Christ and doesn't have these contrary fighting concepts going on within them. Help them to know they need you to make them aware of their sin, to make them aware of their need, to make them aware of the fight that only you can win. We want to reflect your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we pray that you do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.